Luke chapter 2. So here's the very first sermon for 2021 in our church. Luke 2, and we'll take it from verse 39 to the end of the chapter, which is verse 52. Luke 2, verse 39 to 52, continuing the series and the theme for this morning's message is Lessons from Jesus' Childhood. Let's pray together. Great God and Heavenly Father, we bow before you the Most High, the Maker of heaven and earth, the Creator of all things through your Son, Jesus Christ, all things visible and invisible. You sustain all things, Lord Jesus, by the word of your power. You've come to dwell in us, Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God, eternal, omnipotent and omniscient Spirit of the Eternal One, of the Holy One of Israel. Would you open our hearts and minds in difficult times, Lord? Difficult times for many reasons. But we look to you as the slave looks to the hand of his master until the master does good to him. So we look to you. Our eyes are fixed on the clouds of heaven, longing and waiting for the Son of Man to appear and to return knowing that the day of the Lord is a day of darkness and judgment, but for us who believe, it is a day of redemption. And we pray that you would come quickly, but we also pray that you would save many. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, any, any good biography, uh, for the children, a biography is when someone writes the life story of someone else. So someone can write on the life of Napoleon or on the life of Julius Caesar. In any good biography, there will be a chapter or perhaps two or three chapters on the childhood of that person, the young life of that person. But when you come to the biography of Jesus in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's only a single paragraph devoted to his life as a young boy. There's more on his life as an infant, a baby, when he was born, but his life as a young boy, there's only this one paragraph in Luke chapter 2. And apart from these verses, we really know nothing about Jesus' life from the, the birth stories until we hit Luke 3, verse 23, when Jesus is 30 years old. That's it. We don't know anything else between uh, infancy and the age of 30 in the life of Jesus. Now, there are some extra-biblical books that think that they do know what happened to Jesus in those years. Uh, but the way they describe this is so far-fetched and it's so far away, far away from the biblical Jesus. So, for instance, uh, there's a book called The Infancy Gospel of Thomas. There's the Gospel of Thomas. It's a false gospel. It's not true. Um, and then there's the Infancy Gospel of Thomas, written in the year between 150 and 175 AD. 
And in that book, there are many instances of Jesus doing miracles as a child. Um, one example is he, he makes little birds of clay, sparrows of clay, but it's a Sabbath, and then someone goes to Joseph and says, Jesus is doing what shouldn't be done on the Sabbath. And Joseph goes to rebuke Jesus, and as he comes to the stream, Jesus just claps his hands, and these little clay birds turn into real birds, and they fly away. Or uh, Jesus is walking in the street. He's a young boy, and another boy runs past him and accidentally bumps him uh, with his shoulder, and Jesus curses the boy so that he dies. Or another example, these, the same child who died, the parents then go to Joseph and complain, your child is killing the other children. And then Joseph rebukes Jesus, and Jesus is very respectful, uh, disrespectful uh, to Joseph. And then he, he says, I'm going to punish those parents, and he does, and then the parents immediately become blind. Or another time, Joseph is busy in his carpenter shop. He's, he's got an order. He has to make a bed for someone, so it's a bit of income. And then one of the planks is too short, and Jesus just pulls the plank, and he stretches it, stretches the plank, and so Joseph can complete making the bed of uh, this woodwork. And then a number of instances of Jesus raising dead people, even when Jesus was a child, he raises a baby from the dead. But these things aren't part of Scripture. They're not inspired. They're not in the Word of God. But apart from that, you just read these stories, and it's not the genuine Jesus. Jesus loses his temper a number of times. He's very disrespectful to adults, very disrespectful to his stepfather, Joseph. And so it's clear this is not the Jesus of Scripture. So the Jesus of whom we read in the Bible, um, he did not do miracles as a child. That is not the true Jesus. Jesus only started doing miracles once the Holy Spirit came upon him at his baptism. And we see that in Luke 4. In Luke 3, the Spirit comes upon him. In Luke 4, he says, Now I am anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. 4 verse 18. And then he speaks of doing miracles. Or in Acts 10 verse 38, it says that the Spirit of God, he was clothed with, clothed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then he did these miracles. The very first miracle, according to Scripture, is where Jesus turns the water into wine. In John 2 verse 11, it says this was his first miracle and he performed it in Cana, in the province of Galilee. So don't, don't believe things you read about Jesus if it's not in the Bible. If God wanted us to know anything about the life of Jesus between his, the birth narratives and age 30, he would have told us. The only one he gives is this passage where Jesus is 12 years old in the temple. We're going to read it now. And that's what we have. And so what Luke tells us here about the childhood of Jesus, that's enough. That's all we need to know about Jesus' childhood. And the fact that it's the only record of his childhood tells us it must be very important. So what do we learn from this? So let me read to you then Luke 2, verse 39 to the end. And when they, that's Mary and Joseph, when they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. 
His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So, first of all, we're going to look at Jesus the child. That's verse 39 and 40. In the early church, uh, about in the 300s AD, there was a, a preacher called Gregory Nazianzen. And he said, Whatever Jesus has not assumed, whatever Jesus has not taken up on himself, is not healed. But whatever he unites to his Godhood, that is saved. So what this means is, Jesus saves our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our will, our soul slash spirit. He saves, he redeems every part of our human nature of being human. Since he himself took that up, he took it on himself. He became fully human. He made it his own, and that is why he can redeem every part of us. Not only our souls, but even our bodies, our minds, our emotions, and so on. And that implies, it also implies, if Jesus took every part of our human nature, that also implies Jesus can save babies, if he wants to, like John the Baptist, who was filled with the Spirit from the womb. He can save toddlers, like a four-year-old girl in the time of Jonathan Edwards called Phoebe Bartlett. He can save children. He can save young people. He can save adults. Why? Because Jesus passed through every one of those phases. Verse 40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. Verse 52. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, or height, becoming a larger child, and in favor with God and man. And then Jesus can even save us from the grave because Jesus himself was buried and rose again. Now, according to Luke, he says here that Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Verse 39 says they went to Galilee, to Nazareth. And the reason he went to Nazareth is because that's where his parents lived. Verse 39 says, after they performed everything commanded by the law, according to the law. So Jesus is circumcised. Mary brings the sacrifice for herself. Jesus is dedicated to God. He's set apart to God as the firstborn. As we read in verse 21 to 24, all those things. And now they return to Nazareth. Um, but really, they, they don't immediately go back to Nazareth from the Jerusalem temple. 
They first returned to Bethlehem according to Matthew 2. And that's when the wise men came and Herod murdered the children under two years of age in the, the area of Bethlehem. And Joseph and Mary take Jesus and they flee to Egypt. And it's only after King Herod dies, Matthew 2 tells us, that Joseph now takes Mary and Jesus and they return to Nazareth. So, so really, verse, uh, Matthew chapter 2 fits in nicely between verse 38 and 39. Nevertheless, they're back in Nazareth now. That's where his parents live, although both Joseph and Mary are born in Bethlehem, but they live in Nazareth. That's where their house is, and so Jesus goes with his parents. And then they also go to Nazareth to show that Jesus is not very important in the, in the world's eyes, because Naz Nazareth is a town with a reputation, a bad reputation, like Brackpan or Nigel, or they'd say like Kempton. Uh, John 1, uh, you see Nathaniel saying, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Matthew 2 says, He will be called the Nazarene. Alright, so they go back to Nazareth. And I, I think to draw a lesson from this, do not think that your background prevents Jesus from making you a new creation and from forgiving you of your sins and of giving you the treasure of heaven, the treasure of eternal life. To the Lord Jesus Christ, it does not matter who you are, where you're from, what your background is, and what happened to you. It does not matter if the world sees you as unimportant. What matters is what God thinks of you. And according to God in Romans 3 and Romans 5 and Romans 6, God sees you as a sinner. God sees you as a sinner who deserves death. But if you believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, then He sees you as someone who becomes part of His family. Are you part of that family? Are your children part of that family? Is your family part of that family? Now you cannot believe for your children and your loved ones, but you can share the gospel with them. And you can pray for them, that God would save them and open their eyes. And you can set a godly example of godly living. And you can read the scriptures and pray during family devotions. And you can discipline your children when they sin. And you can love them. And you can bring them to church every week. Not send them to church, but bring them to the worship services where the church gathers, where the people of God gather. And more than that, you cannot do. So do not try to do the Holy Spirit's work by forcing your loved ones to say the sinner's prayer, to say some kind of prayer after you, and you repeat after me, and then you think they're now saved. You should simply fulfill your duty as a Christian toward your family, and then you leave it in God's hands. And perhaps you've already messed up because you didn't do what God wanted as a parent and you've messed up, but the Lord can forgive you if you will ask. And then you ask the Lord, please will you do what I cannot do, Lord? And then you remember that God can save people from any age group because he himself became a man and lived through every age group. As a baby and a toddler and a child, and a young person, a teenager, and an adult. And he knows the needs of all, so he can help and save. So Jesus grew. He became strong, it says. So his body grew, but he also grew spiritually. In his mind, he was filled with wisdom, verse 40. And he grew spiritually, he grew wiser, obviously through the word of God and prayer, and through what his parents taught him. And he grew in favor with God, it says in verse 40. 
And I'll say more about this later. Number two. Jesus the 12 year old. That's verse 41 to 51. Now when I was 12 years old, I remember my very first prayer meeting at the Baptist church. I wasn't a Baptist. My friend invited me to the Baptist church. I went to the prayer meeting with him on a Wednesday evening. And I was second in line to pray. We sat in a circle. Adults and kids mixed. And I prayed second. And after that, somewhere I fell asleep. (laughs) And when I woke up, I was the only one left in the church building. Everyone was standing outside drinking tea. (laughs) I remember as a 12-year-old taking my Bible with the same friend. Him and I went to the golf course. And we took our Bibles and sandwiches and we sat there reading. I remember with the same friend when I was 12 years old <clears throat> that him and I had a fight and we decided to no longer be friends. And it was quite difficult for a 12 year old. Uh, much sadness, but we did sort things out and become friends again. I remember as a 12 year old promising other children at school that I will sponsor them for the park run. And I promised so many people that I would sponsor them. And I did this because I wanted to be accepted and I wanted children to like me. And my mother found out about this. She called my Afrikaans teacher and said, my son cannot do this. It was a mistake and we cannot afford it either. And she completely understood. She completely understood. So I look back at my life. These are a few incidents I remember. I look back at my life as a 12-year-old. And I remember that I had some good desires, but there was a lot of sin also. So what what must it be like? What must it be like to have a 12-year-old who never sins? Well, the only parents in the world who knew that was Mary and Joseph, because Jesus never sinned. And what Luke describes now is Jesus at 12 years old. Now, according to the law and according to custom, they went up to Jerusalem every year for the Passover, says verse 41. And then they celebrated and they remembered how God delivered his people Israel from Egyptian bondage, from slavery in Egypt. So that's what they go for. And little did they realize, as they go to this Passover every year, little did they realize that 18 years later, their own son, or at least Mary's son and Joseph's stepson, Jesus would fulfill the Passover when he was slaughtered as our Passover lamb, when he died in our place so that we would not be punished for our own sin. Jesus, our Passover lamb, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John 1 verse 29. And so here is Jesus now. He's not there yet, but here he is now as a 12-year-old sitting in the temple. Now remember at 13... We know, many of us know that Jewish boys then have their bar mitzvah, where they really become full members of the covenant, or in that time it wasn't yet called bar mitzvah, as I understand, but he would become a full member of the synagogue at age 13. But now he's 12, and he already knows more than any of the rabbis. Jesus was the smartest person ever in history, the most intelligent human being who ever lived, ever. He was wiser than Solomon, says Matthew 12, verse 42. And it's not only because he is God and he is omniscient and he knows all things. Even in his human nature, he had a a higher IQ than anyone who ever lived or will live. 
You see, our minds are tainted by sin. Our minds, we've been affected by the fall in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve fell into sin and the whole race was affected. The whole human race. Where Jesus had a sinless nature and therefore also a perfect mind. And we'll see this now. So the feast, this Passover feast, uh, if you count in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which starts on the next day. So this feast is eight days long. Some reckon it and do their calculations and say seven. But all right, eight days long. And when the feast is done, Mary and Joseph, they now go back to Nazareth in verse 43. And they, they don't realize that Jesus is not with them. Jesus has stayed behind in Jerusalem, verse 43. And you wonder how in the world could that happen? Because men and women traveled separately. They traveled separately according to some commentaries. They'd go in one large group, but the men would be together and the women. And so Mary thinks Jesus is with Joseph. And Joseph assumes, well, Jesus is probably with Mary. And perhaps they even think, oh, maybe they're with some of our friends or maybe with some family members, verse 44 at the end. And after a full day of travel, they only then realize that as the sun goes down, oh goodness, where is Jesus? Because now every family needs to be together. They sleep in their own tents and they look for him everywhere, says verse 44 and verse 45, and they cannot find him. And so they have to go back to Jerusalem. Now remember they traveled a whole day out before they realized he's gone. Now it's a whole day's travel back to Jerusalem. And so this is now two days of travel. One day out, one day back. And then on the third day they search for him everywhere in Jerusalem. It says in verse 46. And only on the third day they find him in the temple. Now can you imagine what it must feel like if you cannot find your child for three days? It's scary, I think. And then Jesus obviously does the right thing. He goes to a safe place, the temple, where there are trusted people, as he believes, and, and he knows my parents will probably look for me here. So he did the right thing. And now he's sitting among the rabbis, the Jewish teachers, verse 46 and 47. He's listening to their teaching, and he's asking really real deep questions from God's word and about God's word. And they learn more from his questions than he, than he learns from their answers. Verse 47, they're amazed just at these questions and the understanding this 12-year-old boy has. I mean, the insight and the knowledge and the wisdom, it stuns them. Verse 47, remember in verse 40 it said he increased in wisdom or filled with wisdom? Now it's evident. And Jesus obviously from, from a very young age learned the scriptures. He learned the word of God. And so Jesus, par excellence, is the Psalm 1 verse 2 man who meditates on the law of God day and night. Uh, par excellence, he's the Psalm 119 boy who also meditates on the word and loves the word and so on. But in particular, verse 97, how I love your Lord is my meditation all the day. And in verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. He knows more than the aged, than old people, verse 100, for I keep your precepts. And even his parents are stunned when they walk in and they stand there listening and they, they're absolutely stunned. Verse 48, maybe because they found him or he's in the temple, but perhaps even at his, at his talking and his answers, they're stunned. And they, they're not aware of this, that 
That moment where Jesus is in the temple, that's a preview of what's going to happen for the rest of his life, especially his ministry when he turns 30. For three years he will be teaching God's word to people. That will be his main assignment, his main task, except for saving us through his death on the cross. Luke 4 verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, Jesus said, for I was sent for this purpose. And so Jesus becomes a teacher of the law, teacher of God's word, teacher of new revelation that he brings from heaven and he brings as himself, because he is the word of God made flesh, become man. And very quickly, yes, Mary is surprised, she is amazed, verse 48, but very quickly her astonishment uh, makes room for anxiety and she rebukes Jesus and says, your stepfather and I, we've been looking for you everywhere. We were very worried. We were anxious. Why did you do this to us? Verse 48. And Jesus is just as amazed. He's amazed that they were looking for him. Why were you searching for me? And just think of this. After all that the shepherds had told them and the angels, they knew what the angels have said because the shepherds told them and they heard what Simeon told them in the temple when Jesus was a baby. And they should have known that this is where they're going to find Jesus, in the temple. They should have gone there straight away. And so the fault lay with them and not with him. They know he's the Son of God. The angel said that to Mary before she was pregnant with Jesus. He will be called the Son of the Most High. They know he is God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That's what the angel said to Joseph before Jesus was born in Matthew 1 verse 23. And so Jesus, they should have understood, he must be in his father's house. He wanted to be in his father's house. Verse 49. So Joseph and Mary... He should have understood that God is his father, while Joseph is only his, his earthly father. Not really his father, but his stepfather. So verse 48, when Mary says, your father and I, Jesus responds, my father's house. Verse 49, my heavenly father, that's my real father. Joseph is only my stepfather. But they didn't understand this, verse 50. They didn't understand. How can it be that someone is human, but he also calls God his own father, and he himself is God? What does he mean? They didn't understand. But even though they didn't understand what he meant, Mary did keep on thinking about these things, verse 51, like she did in verse 19 when he was born. So she did keep on thinking, what do these things mean? And Jesus himself, he understood that the bare fact that Jesus is God did not mean that he could be disrespectful to his parents. And he wasn't, but he understood that. And that is why he submitted himself to them. Verse 51, he went back to Nazareth, he was submissive to them. And he, didn't, he did not merely subject himself to his parents as an example for other children. To say, children, I submitted to my parents, you should do the same. Children, I even submitted myself to my stepfather. You should do the same. That's not the main lesson. There's more than this. So let me explain it this way by starting perhaps to, to ask you some questions. So the young people here, and even for us who are older, and think of your own life as a child, when you were a child, were you disrespectful to your parents? And even now, children, do, are you disrespectful? Do you speak in a disrespectful way to your parents? Do you roll your eyes? When they tell you to do something, do you challenge their authority? Do you say to your stepfather, you're not my dad, you cannot tell me what to do? Do you do what you want to instead of what they tell you? Are you rebellious? Listen, God 
has placed your parents over you. And so if you are rebellious against your parents, it's because really in the depth of your heart you are rebellious against God. You do not want authority full stop, whether it's your parents or God. And so really you're kicking against the authority of God by being disrespectful to your parents and being rebellious. And do you want to arm wrestle with God? Do you want to arm wrestle with the Most High and think you will win? You see, God takes it very seriously, very seriously, when children challenge the authority of their parents. You just need to read your Bible, both, both Old, and Old and New Testament. tells you you will not live very long if you do so. You will not live very long if you challenge the authority of your parents, if you're disrespectful. Honor your father and mother, says the Ten Commandments, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And Ephesians 6 quotes that, saying it still applies. Proverbs 20, verse 20. You're disrespectful to your parents, your light will be put out in utter darkness. Your eyes will be pecked out by the ravens, you'll be eaten by the vultures, says Proverbs 30, verse 17. Jesus even said in Matthew 15, verse 4, he quoted the law as saying, if you're disrespectful to your parents, you don't honor them. If you curse your parents, you must die. So God is very serious about this. So what should we do? Because since none of us have have obeyed God in this, none of us have been an example in this, none of us have done this perfectly, all of us, there was a stage somewhere where you were very disrespectful and dishonoring to your parents, perhaps not openly because you would get a, a spanking, but perhaps in your heart or in your mind, you despise their authority. And this is where Jesus comes in. You see, Jesus honored his parents perfectly, verse 51. Jesus never sinned. Many verses in Scripture say that. 1 Peter 2 verse 21 example. And so if you receive Jesus as your Savior, you receive Him by faith, then God will not punish you for your sin and for your disrespect toward your parents or any other sin. God will not punish you because He will accept the death of Jesus as if you paid for your own sin and the obedience of Jesus to His parents and to the whole law, He will accept as your obedience, as if you kept the law perfectly, as if you obeyed your parents perfectly. And then after that, He also placed His Spirit inside of you, and His Spirit will change you, will transform you gradually, making you more and more like Jesus. So that you can then also respect your parents and honor your parents as Jesus did. And that we find in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. And then chapter 6, verse 1 to 3 tells you one of the consequences of that. You will respect and honor your parents. Number three, Jesus the young person or Jesus the teenager, if you want to call it that. I don't quite like the term teenager. It's a modern invention. But let's just call, call it Jesus, perhaps the adolescent. Verse 52 And Jesus increased. Remember in verse 40, he increased, he grew. And now he's 12 in the next verses. And now he keeps on increasing in wisdom, stature, the favor of God, in favor with God and man. So according to the world, every teenager goes through a phase of rebellion. But according to scripture, it does not have to be like that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus came to show us that young people do not only need to grow in wisdom and in strength or in stature, but they can also grow more and more 
to enjoy God's favor, verse 40 and verse 52. And obviously that refers to Jesus' human nature, because as God he always had perfect wisdom and he always had his Father's perfect favor. But this is as he grows more and more, he has the favor of God. So do you want that? I want to maybe just set a minute or two apart to speak to the young people. Do you want that? Do you want God's favor? Are you looking for acceptance? Are you looking for love? You want someone to love you. You desire love. You want to belong. You want to be part of a family where you are accepted. Do you want God to smile over you, smile upon you and not frown upon you because of your sin? Do you want God to forgive your sin? Do you want a clean conscience that doesn't bother you all the time? Well, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus and then God will no longer see you. He will see His Son. He will be well pleased with you because of His Son. If we believe in God, it is possible to please Him only through faith, says Hebrews 11 verse 6. Just in different terms, you can go and read that. And then you'll have these privileges that I just mentioned. This love and acceptance and forgiveness and a clean conscience and so on. Perhaps you're an older Christian and you've been a Christian for a long time, but you're still actually, spiritually, you're a baby. You're a baby. You're not mature spiritually. You keep on backsliding, keep on turning away from the Lord. You're as weak as you were the day you were converted. Perhaps not quite. I hope not so. That would be terrible. You're like the Hebrews in Hebrews 5. They should have been teachers, but they're still babies drinking milk. Well, then ask the Holy Spirit to put the zeal of the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and ask Him that you want to grow. And, and, and if you do so, you will grow and you will enjoy God's favor. Verse 52 and verse 40 says Jesus grew. Jesus grew in wisdom. And for yourself, you need to say you are not growing as you ought. Jesus grew even as a kid. So you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You've been a Christian for so long. And here's a 12-year-old boy. You can say, yes, but he's God. Yes, but he did not draw from his divine nature and cheat, quote, unquote, to make himself grow spiritually. He had to do what we did because he became human in every way. So he also needed to use the means of grace. He needed to pray. He needed to meditate on the scriptures. He needed to listen to the teaching of God's word. He needed the fellowship of believers. And we need the Lord's Supper. So use these means of grace. Prayer, the Word, the Lord's Supper and fellowship. And you will grow if you do these things prayerfully. And if you trust in the Lord. And then you will, then you will have God's favor. His favor will be upon you. And not only will the favor of God be upon you, verse 40 and verse 52, but also the favor of man, verse 52, meaning you'll be able then to win others to the Lord and influence them positively. 1 Samuel 1, uh, 2 verse 26, you see, 6, you see Samuel going through these phases, or Proverbs 3 verse 3 and 4, if you hold on to God's faithfulness and steadfast, pardon me, steadfast love. And that order is very important in verse 52. Favor with God and man, not the other way around. Not favor with man and then only God. First God's favor, then man's favor. Because if you turn it around, then you become a people pleaser. And then you won't have God's favor either. So what do you want on the judgment day when you stand before the heavenly judge? Do you want man's favor or God's favor? 
So if you want to be a young person like Jesus, or perhaps only in general, just speaking generally, if you want to be a child of God, devoted to Christ, then you must desire to please God rather than men. So you must be like a salmon at fish in Alaska and in Canada. You must be like a salmon and you must swim upstream. Don't go with the flow. You go upstream. You don't please men. You seek to please God. And then you will be able to influence and win people to the Lord. And in the end, you'll, you'll end in heaven. You'll end in heaven. Where you will be young forever. And perfectly wise and perfectly healthy. And you will have the favor of God and the favor of men. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for giving us your holy word. And for recording this instance in the childhood of Jesus and the life of Jesus as a boy. And thank you what we learn even from the 12-year-old boy, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our God, our Messiah. We worship you, Jesus of Nazareth, our beloved. And thank you that you call us your beloved and that you call us friends. Help us to grow, Lord. And to not fill our mouths with, with complaining about lockdown and COVID and all of this, but to fill our mouths with praise and thanksgiving and with prayer for our government, that you would save them. And with prayer for fellow South Africans and the lost worldwide, that you would send your gospel preachers, your missionaries, your evangelists, your church planters, your pastors, your teachers, your children, that we would take the good news of Jesus to the lost, and that many would turn to the Lord and be safe. Amen.